When the band Nirvana released their first ever album, Nevermind, it was songs like this one, Smells Like Teen Spirit, that became the anthem of 90s teens right around the world, and of course ushered in a new era of grunge music and style. Now, it would have been impossible to predict that only three and a half short years later that the band's reign would come to a crashing halt with the tragic death of lead singer Kurt Cobain. Danny Goldberg was the band's manager and was a friend of uh, Kurt Cobain during their rocket ride to stardom, and he has written a brand new book called Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain. And the former manager of Nirvana, Danny Goldberg, joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Danny, good afternoon, and thanks so much uh, for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, 25 years. Can you wrap your head around that? Because I think uh, most of us that uh, grew up in that era listening to Nirvana and Kurt, it's it's kind of mind-blowing. It's been a quarter of a century. Yeah, that's one of those things about getting older. The years seem to go by rather quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take us back, though, if you could, uh, and uh, talk a, a bit about this book, because I know you wrote this book with a purpose, because you feel as if uh, the image of Kurt isn't exactly the man that you knew. Yeah, I think somehow over the years, the the image of his death overshadowed what he actually did when he was alive. Um, and uh, I just wanted to write a personal memoir about the three and a half years when I knew him and worked with him, which was when he did everything he was famous for, um, just to shine a light on his brilliance, his talent, his warmth, because there's a reason why we're still talking about him, and it's not because of the tragic way he died, but because of what he did before then. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to sugarcoat, and I try not to in the book, the fact he was prone to depression, he did have a heroin problem, and he did kill himself, but he also created in a relatively short length of time uh, several amazing uh, albums and videos and kind of redefined masculinity in the context of rock and roll and and re-energized rock and roll globally at a time when it was becoming repetitive and kind of corporate. So I, I just I just wanted to share the guy that I knew from a personal point of view, not a journalistic one with 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 readers. You mentioned that uh, you know that he revitalized uh, rock and roll and there's a reason why we're still talking about him some 25 years later. What was it in particular about Kurt in Nirvana? Was it just the the authenticity that they put forward at that time? Well, I think he combined a real commitment to be authentic and sincere as he put it. He loved that word with a mastery of of the language of of rock and roll. He he was when he was a teenager Growing up in in Washington State, um, he was heavily influenced by a, a strain of punk rock that had developed in in the states. Uh, very loud, kind of angry groups like Black Flag, Flipper, the Melvins, and others. But he also loved the Beatles and and pop choruses. He loved uh, certain aspects of heavy metal. He didn't like the macho frontman stereotype of heavy metal, but he liked to rock. And he somehow was able to fuse together some of the musical elements of metal, pop, and punk into a sound that captivated rock audiences around the world. That had a freshness to it, even though it derived from these better-known uh, genres. And 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 yet, at the core of it was always this intense connection to the loneliest part of himself, the part of himself that, by 
by showing it through his lyrics and kind of the vulnerability of his voice and the way he carried himself as a public figure made millions of people around the world feel that they weren't crazy, that they were not alone. And what amazes me is not only that it was a global phenomenon because Nirvana happened very quickly when the song Smells Like Teen Spirit came out in, in Japan, Latin America, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, as well as, of course, Canada, the U.S., and so forth. But but even these 25 years later, I, I, uh, I meet uh, uh, young people in their early 20s or teens who weren't even alive when when Kurt died, who somehow feel that he says something to them. So he's one of those once-in-a-generation geniuses right. that, that come along. And, and, and it uh, wasn't just the music and the fact that that album went to number one and that, the, you know, there were some catchy riffs and some pretty introspective lyrics, but uh, to your point about it, uh, kind of marking a sea change and almost uh, being, in a way, revolutionary, uh, I think. Was he ready to be that, uh, that famous and that kind of figure? Yeah, you know, it's funny. For my generation, the guy that did that was Bob Dylan, and I remember like a Rolling Stone, and how to me when a new Bob Dylan came album came out, it didn't it wasn't just music; it was like telling me how to think. And and I think Kurt had that impact on his fans, and I don't think anyone can be prepared for that level of attention and adulation. He did seek it. He 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 carefully planned his career to achieve that goal. But once having achieved it. The idea that he'd be recognized everywhere or that his personal life would come under scrutiny, uh, you know, didn't thrill him. Mm -hmm. Do you remember where you were? I mean, you you must uh, when you heard that uh, Kurt was dead. And what was your your gut reaction? Well, I I had left the management company about seven or eight months after Nevermind came out to go to work for Atlantic Records, who then made me president. But in my deal, I stayed involved with Nirvana as a co-manager, specifically to work with Kurt. Just the dynamics around the band were such that I had more of a relationship with him and my colleagues more with the with the other guys. And um, so I was in New York in a meeting. Uh, it was actually a meeting with Stevie Nicks and another executive at Atlantic about one of her solo projects, when my wife at the time, Rosemary Carroll, called me, she was also Kurt and Courtney's lawyer. And she was on her way to tell Courtney that Kurt had killed himself and told me it was a horrible shock, obviously. It wasn't completely a surprise, unfortunately. He had almost died from an overdose six weeks earlier in Rome. And he, uh, I had seen him about 10 days earlier. Courtney had asked me and half a dozen other people to do a so-called intervention to try to get him to go into rehab. She also went into rehab at that time. He'd struggled with heroin addiction, and he seemed really depressed to me at that time. I had a real connection with him a lot of the time, but there Mm -hmm. were some times when I just couldn't reach him at all, and unfortunately that last time was one of them. So I was shocked and devastated. I'll never really completely get over it, but it was not a complete surprise given given what had happened in the previous couple of months. That last time that you met with Kurt and you talked with him, did you walk away feeling like you, you didn't really reach him and were you worried, were you concerned? Yeah, I was I was worried and I was bummed out. Uh, you know, these interventions are always weird because it's kind of an invasion. It's a, it's, it's a desperation move that people who love somebody who's got an alcohol or drug problem do to just uh, try to shock them into making some change in their life, uh, sometimes going into treatment, sometimes going to a 12-step program or both. But it, they're always weird. They're a little contrived. And he he uh, wasn't thrilled with a bunch of people coming into his house lecturing him, right. uh, I among them. 
And um, I was I was um, stressed. I needed to get home. Uh, you know, I had a, a, a young um, infant at home as well as my three-year-old. So it was it was stressful, and I called him when I got home and told him I loved him and put my three-year-old daughter on the phone with him. He loved playing with her, and it was it, there was a warmth to it, but he still just sounded so sad when he said goodbye, and that was the last time I ever spoke to him. Yeah. Talk about Courtney in the book quite a bit, uh, Courtney Love, and uh, what she did uh, for Kurt. Uh, you really feel as if uh, she was instrumental in actually prolonging his life, right? Well, he loved her, that's for sure, and it gave him a reason to live. He was prone to depression long before he became famous, long before I met him. People that knew him, like Chris Novoselic, his bandmate, tell stories of him wandering off or just zoning out for 20 or 30 minutes at a time, even in the middle of recording sessions. And um, he, had, he had done heroin long before he was famous. Um, I, I know he loved Courtney. I, I, was, I was around him uh, the night they first got together romantically. It happened to be in Chicago. She came into the dressing room and a few minutes later was sitting on his lap and they were together from there on. And, and part of how I connected with him personally was because I recognized that he was in love. I was in my early 40s. He was in his early 20s. And I was of a different generation. I wasn't part of that whole punk rock scene, but I knew somebody in love when I saw it. Mm -hmm. And and that's where we developed kind of this personal connection in addition to a business one because I just recognized how much uh, they meant to each other. And um, I like Courtney. I ended up managing Hole and made their major label deal. I'm still friends with her. She was kind enough to cooperate with me for the book and tell me some of her memories, but she's a controversial figure. She's ambitious. She's got rough edges. Mm -hmm. She also had drug problems during those years. And, uh, and I think a lot of people see her maybe as a bit of an, an enabler at that time. Is that well, an unfair I think, characterization? Well, I think they or? enabled each other. I mean, yeah. Kurt didn't need any encouragement. Uh, you know, he, as I said, he had done heroin long before he ever met Courtney. But they had that, what people would call a codependent relationship, I guess. They both had drug problems. They both loved each other. They both were famous. They both were artists. And, um, you know, there were people that knew Kurt from earlier that resented. Now there was this woman in the picture and she was loud and assertive. And sometimes people just didn't like her. And sometimes there was a misogyny to that, but it was a, a, a lot of drama. Yeah. Uh, Reminds me of another famous rock star, uh, John Lennon and uh, Yoko Ono. Uh, well, yeah, people certainly made that comparison at the time. I always thought it was a compliment because I'm a fan of Yoko and I liked a lot of John Lennon's work after he met Yoko, songs like Give Peace a Chance and Instant Karma. And uh, and, and Kurt and Courtney would jokingly refer them to themselves as John and, and Yoko, but but the same way there were Beatles fans that thought Yoko changed the Beatles, there were definitely some people around Nirvana and even some fans that felt somehow she changed him. But, you know, great artists change. That's what makes them artists. They, they're not just in the business of repeating themselves and providing sequels. They're, they're always trying to find some inner truth that's of the moment. And he was one of those guys like a Bob Dylan or a David Bowie who was going to keep changing and if you if you kept up with him, it was amazing. And if you were stuck on what he did last year, you felt left behind. Yeah. Going to uh, wrap this up by asking you what is maybe an unfair question, just because uh, I'm not sure it's answerable. But had Kurt survived, had he lived on, where do you think he would be today? What would he have done? Well, I know he'd be doing art. He was an artist to his core. You know, when he was younger, he he saw himself as a painter, a graphic artist, and 
when I knew him, you, you went over to his apartment in L.A. and they were everywhere. They were drawing sculptures, working on new songs, working on lyrics, working on his journals. So he would have been doing something creative and it would have been different from what he did the year before. That mm -hmm. I know for sure. I'm sure that from time to time he would have wanted to get together with Chris and Dave and, and, and do Nirvana shows and, and records because uh, there's something magic about the three of them together. But Dave also, it turns out, had great talents that he couldn't express in, in Nirvana, and I'm sure he would have done the kind of thing he's doing now too. So I don't know what the music would have sounded like. I'm, if he were alive today, he'd be in his 50s, and you write different songs in your 50s than you do in your 20s, sure. but I know Still he would, would be, be a very influential figure, though, you think? He'd be great. Yeah. How influential, I don't know, but I know it would be great. All right. Danny Goldberg, the book is called Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain. It's available now. Danny, a real treat to have you here. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me.